Amen. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. While I'm getting set up here. Each morning, I will usually prepare the same way and seek the Lord that we might, every one of us, experience a touch from God when we come to this place, when we gather that, that we might sense that God is in this place, that God is with us when, when the people of God gather. That's a promise of Scripture. But it's something that I just I labor for before the throne of grace and long that something that I can't do by myself happens when when I step behind the pulpit to preach the word of God, that you hear what God wants you to hear and that you get a word that that's been tailored by the spirit to just hit you right between the eyes or right between the heart. Right? And only God can do that. And so I just want us to come as, 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 we, as we've been worshiping, I've just been sensing like God is on this service. God is on us right now and He has a word for us. But we need to come desperate to the throne of grace as the people of God. Like, Lord, we want something. We want something from you. We want a word from the Lord. So let's come and ask God to help us as we get into his word together. Father, I thank you, Lord God, that you have called Christians to live in a way that it is impossible for them to do the Christian life apart from a powerful work of your spirit in their lives and in their hearts. That's why when somebody becomes a Christian, they get indwelled by your spirit. And that's the mark of sonship. That's the mark of becoming a daughter or a son of God in Christ. New life inside the heart. And Father, when we're on the outside of that, the scriptures seem boring. When we're on the outside of that, there's a sense of just not fully getting it and just chasing after everything this world throws at us like it's going to do something and it doesn't do anything. It doesn't satisfy our hearts. And Father, I just pray that you would help us now, Lord, as we get into the text of Scripture and we learn about Jesus' teaching about putting him first. Father, would you... Would you just ignite this word and would you emblazon it on our hearts and minds? Would you etch it into our souls? Would you work it into the daily moment to moment living as Christians in this world that it would begin to radiate for your glory? And Father, we ask for a visitation from your spirit. Do what only you can do in our hearts and in our minds. And we ask this in Jesus' name precious, holy name. Amen. Jesus said in one of his most famous sermons, the Sermon on the Mount, 
Matthew 6.33 to be precise. He gave a blueprint for Christians and a call to all non-Christians. And this is what he said. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. And he spoke those words in the context of knowing that we have to live in these bodies, in this world, and we've got to do stuff like, you know, work to get food and clothing on our back. And, and there's daily concerns of, of just physical necessities of life, the bare necessities of life. And we can tend to worry about those things. And he says, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, drink, or wear. Life is more than food, right? Life is more than drink. Life is more than clothing. And then he comes and says, no, you seek first the kingdom of God in my righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. You, you get the main thing straight. And all these other things will be provided for. Because you have a sovereign God who's in control of the universe. He made the heavens and the earth. He made every dove and every turtle and every wolf. And He made the, the fish that swim in the ocean and the ones at the bottom of the Marianas Trench that are just crawling around the seafloor. Glowing neon. Because God thought it would be cool to have neon stuff going on down there where nobody could see it. Because He's just like, my glory is proclaimed in the things I've made. And I can provide for you and I care for you. But you got to seek me first. You got to seek my kingdom and my righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So I was thinking about, you know, what, what would it be, just imagine for a second, if you got news tomorrow, you saw the doctor, blood tests were done, you got news, you're terminal, and you've got one year to live. You've got one year to live. And this happens whether we're eight years old or 80 years old. It happens all the time. But what would be different about that next year of life? How would your priorities change? What would you put first? What would matter to you? What well, would be on the forefront of your heart? There's nothing like the sobering reality of that kind of prognosis that will begin to set your priorities straight. And Jesus is giving us a word here to help us see there is something greater to life than merely living, eating, drinking, and putting on clothes, going to work, coming home, head hit the pillow, do it all over again. That's not what life is about. You've got to do that, but it's not what life is about. There's more. 
And sometimes we don't see it until it comes in stark contrast and we realize there are more important things in life than that. And Jesus is just all over it. Right? That's why He says in verse 31 of chapter 6, Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? For the Gentiles, that means like the ungodly pagans seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. We don't have to wait for those kind of sobering moments in life because Jesus has spoken. Smithfield, Jesus has spoken to us. Jesus has spoken to you and told you, seek first the kingdom and His righteousness. And if you're not doing that, you are missing out on what God intended for the human flourishing of your life. What it means to be human is to live for God and enjoy Him. You were made to put Him first. He was made to be the center. And we were singing a hymn a second ago and I was just like, I was thinking about the words. Can we honestly say when we sing words like the hymn writer wrote, my heart, my life, my all I bring to Christ who loves me so. He is my master. He's my Lord. He's my King. Wherever He leads, I'll go. The call of this text is to every single person in this room. Will Jesus be first in your life? Or will you go after something else to satisfy you? Will other priorities crowd out the King of Kings? And sometimes I think like we have this like solar system and sometimes it speaks better than we know, right? You've got to, we're, we, we live in a heliocentric universe and that just means that the earth and all the planets revolve around the sun, right? They orbit the sun. The sun is in the center. We're orbiting around it. And Jesus in this passage is calling us, calling you, calling me, to a heliocentric lifestyle where we orbit around the Son of God, where our lives are orbiting around Him. Instead of Him being like a little planet like Neptune or something, like orbiting around our life, we're just gonna, we're gonna have Jesus orbit around us and we'll boss Jesus around and tell Him what to do and, it, and that'll fix everything, right? That's how you make a mess of your life. That's how you have a shipwreck in your faith. When you start to elevate other things, other relationships, they become first. So what is, what, what is it in your life that you're living for? What gets you up in the morning? What's that burning passion in your soul 
And if the answer is not Jesus, living for Him, seeking Him and His kingdom, then perhaps we need to realize that maybe we're not orbiting Christ, but we've made Him just part of the furniture of our lives. And what happens when we do that is we begin to see that the other things that we put as supremely important, they can't sustain us. They don't last. It's like sand sipping, slipping through your hands. How many workaholics made the career center? I want to work hard. I, I've got to provide for my family. That's a good thing, right? I'm providing for my family. I want to live in a way that I'm a hard worker. And so I'm going to burn the candle at both ends. I'm going to keep plowing. I'm just going to work, 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 work. And everything is crushed underneath that weight. And pretty soon you begin to lose everything. Because Jesus wasn't at the center. Or maybe you're so discouraged that you begin to turn to substitute saviors. Something else. This, this Jesus orbit, I'm not, I, don't, I don't get this, but I do get the things that I replace Him with. I do get this thing like, I could medicate this. I could go to some other thing to just numb how I feel because I don't want to deal. And Jesus isn't center. Or maybe we go to a relationship. If, if, if I just had a spouse, or if I just had a boyfriend, that would just that would make everything right. And that's that's where my world is, and it's radiating around that. And then you're let down, and what happens? Everything comes tumbling down. Because it was not meant to be the center of your life. Those things are good in their proper place. Because when Jesus center is center, everything else is ordered around that. Everything begins to fall into place. But when you put other stuff in His place, you begin to see that they fail you and they cannot sustain your life. So what is Jesus saying for us in these words? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I'm reminded of the famous evangelist D.L. Moody who once said, the world has yet to see what it looks like for a, what God might do in the heart of a man or a woman who fully gives his life to God. The world is yet to see what God can do in a life fully devoted to Him. Fully consecrated to Him. Fully given up. Fully surrendered. And when I hear stuff like that, I'm just like, I love it. I love it because I'm just like, I want more of him. Because we don't, if we're honest, we don't, we don't get this, right? Like every day is not just full bore for Jesus. 
even for the best of us. But the call of Jesus is to put him first. And when things get out of alignment, we've got to make changes. And Jesus is looking for people who will put him above everything else. Isn't it time in your life where Jesus becomes number one? You say, we're in church. We're like, we're like doing church things. We, we, we go to the Sunday school. We're coming to church. We're, we're, we, we might be reading our Bibles. But when you look at your life and your priorities and what you spend most of your time doing and most of your time, what your passion is showing is Jesus at the center of that. That's what he's talking about. He's saying, he's not saying don't do all the things like don't put, you know, worry about clothes. Don't worry about all. He's not saying we don't have to live in a world where we have to go to the store and buy stuff from the gap and buy stuff from different supermarkets to feed ourselves like Jesus is in touch with that but he's saying man what happens in your life when I become first is you begin to see just what the world was meant to be when I'm central you begin to live a different way. You begin to live not in fear. We talked about that song, right? Caleb shared that fear is banished by the presence of a God who says, you're mine. You're in my son. My wrath has been removed. Jesus has been made much of in your life. And so you don't have to be afraid of God anymore because you've submitted your life to Christ. You're not on the run from Jesus. You're running toward Jesus. We only have to fear God when we're running from God, living in sin, piling up all the stuff as if that's going to satisfy, making everything else center. Then we do fear. We fear the loss of the very things that we want so desperately to be number one in our life. But Jesus said, don't worry about those basic needs. Put me first. Watch what I do. Watch how I change your life. This, this whole passage is bookended, if you see, with, with just real clear warnings against idolatry and putting other things ahead of Christ. Look at verse 24 of chapter 6. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. But you can't serve God and money or in the Greek, it's mammon. It's, it's all the possessions. It's the accumulation of stuff, right? Better car, better house. We chase that American dream thinking it's going to just, man, when I get there, if I just get the right house, if I just get the right collection of guns, if I just get the right car, if I just climb that corporate ladder and I'm just right where I need to be, Man, that's when life is just going to fall into place. And we often get it twisted because we're thinking we've got to set all these other things right and then we'll have time for Jesus. Right? Kids, you're going to be tempted to put all sorts of things in the place 
of God. You are. You're going to be told certain things are better than Jesus. You're going to be told, like, in, at school, go, go this way. Be passionate about this. And wh what are you going to do? It's going to come down to listening to Jesus and his word. Seek the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. That's the spirit of God talking, not Peter Phillips, right? That's God's word. And we are all faced in a day where everything is at war with that very core commitment. Everything is seeking to distract you from the King of Kings. We can get swallowed up in all sorts of political depression, right? When we look at the world and we're just like, it's too left. It's too immoral. But if Jesus is at the center, you've got the light of the world before you. And you go take that into the darkness. You don't have to be swayed by where our country is headed if Jesus is at the center of your life. You don't have to fear, right, what the LBGTQ movement is doing and how that's going to encroach on your life and be so in your face that you're feeling like defensive a little bit. When Jesus is at the center, you've got love for people who are just broken and disordered in their desires. Because Jesus is on the throne. You know when we have to worry? When Jesus gets dethroned in our heart and something else takes his place. Something else becomes first. It's easy for moms and dads to put even good things like our kids before the Lord, right? But if Jesus is first, I'm going to be a better dad. If Jesus is first, I'm going to be a better husband. If Jesus is first, you're going to be a better wife. Mother, grandmother, grandfather. But who will occupy the throne of your heart? Lest we forget that Jesus is a king. Why do you think he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? We're seeking a kingdom. And you cannot have a kingdom without submission to the king. Right? That's just obvious. You cannot have a kingdom without submission to the king. And Jesus spoke about this a few chapters earlier. If you just want to flip over to verse or uh, chapter 4, we get introduced to Jesus and His mission and His proclaiming a kingdom has come. Chapter 4 and verse 15, we'll start there. Jesus is quoting the prophet Isaiah. He says, The land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. 
And from that time, Jesus began to preach. Jesus was a preacher. From that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus came in ushering a kingdom. He came in ushering a kingdom in the face of all our crumbling kingdoms. I mean, you look at America and you're like, this isn't the America I used to know. This isn't the place I used to be a part of. This isn't the place that I used to love. What's happening? Well, Jesus came in to usher in a kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom that will one day be a physical kingdom when he makes all things new. But he came in ushering in a kingdom in the rubble of all of our temporal kingdoms that every day remind us that salvation is not in a better president or a better political system or a better human fix-it, right? We're not going to fix this thing on our own. We need rescue, and Jesus is proclaiming to the world that He's the one who came into the darkness. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and His name is Jesus. And He introduces Himself to you saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Have you come to terms with your sin before a holy God? That's what he's asking. The king is who we seek. And the way into the kingdom is when we behold him for who he is as the one God sent into the darkness, the darkness of your lives, the darkness of your world, and the brokenness of your world. And he sent Jesus to be the light. The light has dawned. And 2,000 years ago, history was changed because Jesus lived perfectly. He died sacrificially on a cross because our sins deserve death. Our darkness deserves death. And you know what Jesus does for you? He dies the death you deserve. He's buried, and three days later, he burst out of the grave, and he's risen, and he changed history. There is no other explanation for the spread of Christianity. A small little group of these aberrant Jewish preachers, all of a sudden, they're, they're, they're talking about a, a risen Messiah, and their own people reject the message. And within three centuries, the whole empire of Rome is won over. And it's not before a lot of Christians lost their lives. Because they did not hold their lives dear because they had Jesus. And they knew what Jesus was talking about. If we seek the kingdom and His righteousness, everything's going to be added. You may take my life, but you're only going to usher me into glory. And there was a kind of boldness that would face fear, face difficulty, face trial, face the things that you think are impossible. Well, I could never share Jesus because I just don't want to be rejected. They went into the lion's den. Because Jesus was worth it. And because Jesus had changed them. And because Jesus was centered. 
And we're going to get to what this king provides because he provides a better righteousness, right? Deep down, we all know something's wrong inside us. We feel guilty because we are guilty. And Jesus is offering a better righteousness to us because he earned it. And none of us can stand before a holy God in our works. None of us can stand before a holy God in our good deeds because we don't love God all the time. And we don't love other people all the time. We're often pretty difficult and hurtful sometimes to others, right? We fall short of the greatest two commandments. And Jesus is like, seek my kingdom and my righteousness. That's what you need because we have a righteousness problem. When I think of this passage, I often think of Jesus' words in the book of Revelation to the Ephesian church. Jesus gave seven letters to seven churches in the book of Revelation, and they were like report cards of how they were doing, right? <laughs> he gives them, imagine if Jesus gave Smithfield a report card, right? This is what I think of you. That's what he did in the church of Ephesus. And he said to them, just hear, hear it as it, it, it's coming from the lips of Jesus. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear those who are evil, but you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. Sounds good so far. They're faithful, they're orthodox, they're fighting against false teaching, they're, they're persevering in, in, in the faith. And then Jesus just gives them one, in, one correction. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. You've lost your first love. Something's happened between us, Jesus is saying to the Ephesian church. Something's happened between us. We're not close anymore. You don't, you don't love me the way you used to love me when you first got saved. Things have gotten stale. Things have gotten routine. Things have gotten ordinary. Things, there's not that passion. There's not that love. There's not that joy. You're going through the motions. And then I look at Ephesus and I'm like, Ephesus was started by the Apostle Paul, right? They've got the who's who of pastors. Paul, Timothy pastors them after Paul. The Apostle John himself is a pastor of the church of Ephesus. They've got the best pastors on the planet. And Jesus comes to them just a generation later. And he says, I have this against you. You've lost your first love. You've lost your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent and do the things you did at first. Is the Lord saying that to you today? To me? 
you've lost your first love. You've lost your passion. You've lost your zeal for the Lord. There's something that's just been lost over time and you don't know quite what it is. And Jesus is reminding us, come back. Come back to that place where He is the main thing. Come back to that place where He's center. Come back to that place where you're not putting people or possessions or toys or things or anything else before Jesus. You know how you know a relationship is toxic? If it takes you away from Jesus. Right? You know how you know that something you want is toxic? When it begins to dull your love for Jesus. Even if it's a good thing. We have this precious, blood-bought blessing as Christians. We've been born of God. We've been brought out of darkness into his marvelous light. We've been forgiven of our sins. The God of the universe works for our good in all things. He loves us so deeply. He cares about us more than a couple of sparrows that he feeds all the time. Right? The sparrows know where to get food. Don't worry about the food. Don't worry about the clothes. God will care for you. One of the things that when I was not a believer that turned me away from Christianity was when I saw Christians, professing Christians, who said they believed in Jesus but didn't live like and Gandhi once said the same thing, right? I like their Christ. I don't like their Christians. Jesus is getting at that very reality. He's saying, what are you going to do, church? Are you going to put me at the center? Are you going to look to me in a new way? Are you going to commit to me in a new, fresh way? Are you going to go all in in your ministries? Are you going to go all in in your commitments? Dream a dream with me, church, as we're thinking about this passage. Seek the kingdom and His righteousness and all things will be added unto you. Dream a dream of what that would look like in the church of Jesus Christ. What would our services look like? What would our prayer meetings look like? Dream a dream about what it means to go all in for Jesus. And to say, I surrender all. All to Jesus, I surrender. Jesus once warned the religious people around Him with these words. He said, well did Isaiah prophesy of you you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as the doctrines, or teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God to hold the tradition of men. When religion just becomes this 
sort of legal law that you live out. And there's no love for Jesus and there's no affection for Jesus and there's no worship happening. Then you come in and you go through the motions and you leave. And Jesus doesn't affect any other part of your life. And I prayed over this message as I was thinking about it. I just, I just want you all to see my, my heart is to dream a dream about what this verse could mean in every one of our hearts. Because every single one of us needs this medicine from Jesus on one level or another. And what does it mean in your life to say, I'm looking at my priorities. I'm looking at the use of my time. I'm looking at how and what I'm passionate about. And I'm realigning it to follow Jesus. What would happen in the church of Jesus Christ when we hear His words as just a tender shepherd? You've lost your first love. Remember from where you've fallen and come back to Me. And for those of us who maybe have never tasted His goodness and His care and His love and His forgiveness, and we're in here and we're, we're just feeling very distant from God. We're afraid of God. We're, we're feeling like this is just so foreign, but I know there's something more for me. I know I need something more than what I've been experiencing in this life. I know something's wrong. I've been aiming at something and it's not been satisfying me because it's not been Jesus. C.S. Lewis once said, if you aim at heaven, you get earth thrown in. If you aim at earth, you lose everything. Or as Jesus put it, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he loses his soul? What does it matter what you gain? Jesus reminds us in this text, but you seek first the kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Maybe you're realizing that you're without Christ and you have a righteousness problem because you're guilty before God just like we all are, but you've never experienced a relationship with Jesus. You've never known what it was to just be in touch with God and have His forgiveness and know His fellowship. And you've never gotten beyond the indictment. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is speaking to you today if you are not a Christian or if you feel like you're not even sure. Will you look to Jesus today and know that His righteousness is so glorious and His love for you is so deep and His sacrifice for you is so perfect that you can be made new in an instant?
and transformed. God did it in my life 21 years ago when I hated Christians, hated Jesus, hated this talk of the Bible, and just wanted to live for sin and put everything else before Jesus, and it nearly killed me. Because nothing under the sun will satisfy you unless it is the Son of God. Hear these words in close. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you have a righteousness problem in here today? And we all do. God made Jesus to be the sin-absorbing sacrifice on a cross and to be the righteous human life lived out in our place. And He died to take the wrath of God so that you might become right in God's sight through faith in Him. But you have to admit your need and you have to believe on Him and salvation will come. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord. And what would it look like? What would it look like if the blazing center of our life just radiated around Jesus? And, and Lord, our love was rekindled and our passion was aflame and our, our, our witness was renewed and our joy was full. Oh God, blow upon your people. Strengthen your people. And if there's somebody here today, or if there's a few who do not know Jesus, who've misplaced their priorities, who's, who've, who've fallen short, they've chased everything else and it's failed them. And maybe even they gave lip service to Jesus at one point, but they realized that wasn't real. If that's you today, I would just ask you to pray with me and I would ask you to sense the Spirit calling you, if this is true, of you. And that you would pray, Lord, I believe that I'm a sinner. I believe that I have a righteousness problem. But I believe that Jesus came as my righteousness. I believe that He died on a cross for my sins and He rose from the dead. Please forgive me of my sins and come into my life. Send your spirit into my life. Because I want to live truly for you. And if you're here today and you just need to commit afresh to Jesus. That you would say, oh Lord, ignite a love for you. The first love I had. Rekindle the relationship that I have with you, O Lord, and set me on fire for your good purposes in this world. In Jesus' precious holy name, we ask these things. Amen.